This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. The New Zealand Young Writers Festival celebrates the cutting edge of contemporary literary practice in Aotearoa with performances, workshops, conversations, markets, social events, and more. The festival is funded by Dunedin City Council and Otago Community Trust. This live recorded podcast is brought to you by Otago Access Radio and supported by Dunedin UNESCO City of Literature. Playing with the trouble, writing gender and the body. How does society place limitations on the way we live in our bodies? How might we resist and refuse this through writing? In this episode, Emma Barnes, Fina Pormana, Hana Pera Ayoke and Kerry Lane share their work and discuss writing. Fluidity, gender and bodies. This event was sponsored by Auckland University Press. Kia pūrei tātou i te hao o Aoraki, kia titirau i hautātou ki te awarere o Kaikoro, uh, kia mau tātou te korowai o Kaitahu me Waitaha me Katimamo e Fanui, tuhia ki te rangi, tuhia ki te whenua, tuhia ki te nāko o nā tangata, tihei mauri ora. Uh, kia ora koutou katoa, uh, nā mihi tuatahi ki a kaitahu me Waitaha me Katimamo e Fanui. Me mihi ano hoki e i uh, o tātou tini mate, no reira haere na mate, haere, haere, haere atura. Uh, me mihi ano ki a koe te rangatira, Emma, me Fina, me Kerry, me Aliana, me Alice. Uh, tēnei te mihi ki a koutou, ki a koutou na mātāwaka, no mai, hari mai ki Aotearoa Young Writers Festival. Uh, whakatau mai te runga ki te kaupapa o te pō. Uh, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa. Kia ora. Kia ora. Welcome everybody um, to... <laughs> We're really, really here to take over. We're just going to have some um, housekeeping before we start. Um, but thank you all so much for coming this evening on a kind of not that nice evening, but it's not raining, so it's a good day in Dunedin. Take it as a win. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Double digits. Um, kia ora, and first of all, you know, kia ora so much to Hannah for putting this on, and our beautiful panellists who you will soon meet and know all about, Emma, Fina and Kiri. Um, I also just want to say... I also just want to say a big thank you to um, Jackson Newland, who was originally going to be a part of this, and then COVID, et cetera, et cetera. We all get the vibe, but Jackson, we love you. I hope you listen to this podcast and feel how much we appreciate you. Can we please pucky pucky for our fabulous panelists? So kia ora everybody, thank you so much for coming to Playing With The Trouble. Um, I think I'm going to begin first by reading a short piece and then we'll kind of have a discussion and then another person will read, we'll have a little discussion 
and so on and so forth, and then have a little chat with any of you if you want to ask questions or comments, thoughts, feelings. Yeah. Um, so this piece is called um, To Be Birthed in Water, and I'm just going to read the last part of it. As Māori, we oscillate constantly between worlds, Matauranga Māori and Matauranga Pākehā. I was once told that it's not a burden but a gift, a way of being able to walk through multiple worlds at once. This way of being is what Martinican philosopher Edouard Glissant describes as opacity, or rather the right to demand opacity. Opacity is an ethical stance against imperial domination. According to Zoe Samadzi, the right to opacity stands for a place where we aren't forced or compelled to make people's identities legible. Instead, we embrace differences or complications without being tied to any form of hierarchy. We reject Western modes of understanding as the only way of being. Through this right to opacity, this ability to oscillate between spaces and worlds, we can reject the oversimplification of the diversity of Māori. As Rangi Māori Mihu Mihu Rose Pere writes, our lives and institutions were far from static and consistent before the arrival of Pākehā, and have certainly not been so since. The question I hate most about having this baby I am carrying is, do you know what you're having? Followed by, don't you want to know if it's a girl or a boy? I usually answer, I'm having a baby. <laughs> Given all the waterways convulsing inside me, it seems like a stupid series of questions. My baby is more than a singular coded gender. It has many rivers, lakes, oceans, and glacial mountains. As Annie McKaidi writes, the gender binary was enforced upon us through colonization. There was no pre-colonial hierarchy of the sexes, the labor we performed, or even in Treo Māori. As both the personal pronouns ia and the possessive uh, personal pronouns tona and taina are gender neutral. I often think of Paul B. Presadio's An Apartment in Uranus, uh, where he wrote, I am not a man, I am not a woman, I am not a heterosexual, I am not a homosexual, I am not bisexual, I am a dissident of the gender, a sex gender system. I am the multiplicity of the cosmos, trapped in a binary political and epistemological system, shouting in front of you. How can bodies be defined in such arbitrary terms like boy or girl? The body is disobedient. It is a river flowing backwards and splitting off into many directions. Just as my body is not one singular being, so is this baby swimming in Wainuiatia inside my womb. It feels strange, sometimes a heavy burden to bring a world into, uh, bring a child into this world during a time of perpetual crises. At the same time, hope for what the future might bring and the work we must do to protect that future is enough to make these anxieties feel superfluous. This body will be birthed in water and protected by water. Thank you. Um, but I thought I would read that because I think it's quite an um, interesting way of looking at the kind of fluidity of gender and how there's so many... It's not arbitrary and it's not one thing either. Mm. And I don't know if any of you wanted to 
comment on that or speak to the yeah. <laughs> oh no, I was just making a face of agreement. I can, I can, I can go first. Go on. Yeah, I mean, I loved like I love that bit about being a dissident, and then also about like bodies being really disobedient. Like, um, a thing that I often feel about my gender is I am both and neither, and I think that's also a nice way of mm. explaining it. Like, I think there's um, a difference between that idea of understanding yourself and having to explain yourself to someone else mm. and my grappling with language about myself is for me to try and get a picture of who I am but I don't necessarily want to explain it which is why I'm attracted to words like queer or like just even non-binary by itself yeah. you know there's so many ways to be there and so many layers to that that um, yeah I kind of like just really not explaining myself feel like I don't have to, you know? It's that opacity and that yeah. way of just like mm. not having to do that and having yeah. been able to just sit in the complication of it. Yeah, and go, okay. And like, people overlay things onto you all the time. You know, like, I get you know, called a she all the time. I, and, and I get that that's also about my body, you know. Very hard for me to have an androgynous body, but also, what is an androgynous body? We only think it's one way because we put, you know, we place man at the centre of the world kind of thing, you know? So I like that discomfort. And I like when people can identify that there's something there, but they don't know what it is. Mm. That mystery. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I like the idea of being a mysterious, shiny thing. Uh, but, like, I have so many feelings about your writing, just generally, and thank you for all of the things. Uh, and now I don't have any like fancy words to say about gender because I'm processing <laughs> the idea of being a series of waterways and um, the yeah. Thank you for bringing the importance of water into this and and Fenua because like because yes, duh, of course that's everything. And I mean I can't remember what percentage of our bodies is water. It's a high one. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take this opportunity to hydrate. <laughs> yeah, I love I love the idea of opacity as a stance oh. in itself. Um, I think there's an increasing tendency in some spaces with kind of people finding new um, new words and new ways of talking about things to just want to have a word for absolutely everything. Yeah. Um, and I think that's quite an English thing as well. Like there's, there's definitely, I think, elements of kind of imperial thought in it as well, but also I think very specifically English. Like the English language is just so, like there has to be a word everything, every nuance, everything, like it's such a massive, sprawling language. Um, it's quite strange that that can end up feeling so restrictive, mm -hmm. as opposed to just having, you know, like you were talking about personal pronouns in, in real Māori, it's like there's, there's just one. <laughs> and that's, that can be freeing, just not having so many words and a pressure to pick like what yeah. word works. Yeah, that realising that was a big part of uh, my own gender shuffling aroundness um, about pronouns and things because my my whole gig with uh, 
like questioning my gender and stuff ended up being can I just not love like can I just not do this and then like turns out you can just not do that because it's a social thing that we made up um, and learning more about te reo Māori and sort of Māori world views and ways of thinking about things was really helpful in my coming to terms with that especially just like just the convenience of one pronoun for everybody yeah because like that's sufficient you don't need other ones necessarily mm. and um, a lot of my own sort of like contentious feelings about which words uh, I use and which words other people around me use to talk about me I feel like I could have just skipped a lot of that debating if English wasn't like this <laughs> but like but that's just a me thing as well so I don't, yeah words and stuff you know <laughs> Um, so I think maybe we'll go this way because it just seems easiest Um, so the next writer that I will introduce is Fina Pumama um, is Ira Kore Takatapui a poet, artist, graphic designer and general chill witchy vibe um, they would like to go back in time and tell their 19-year-old them about this, but figure being as present as possible and the, is the best alternative. So, oh my God. <laughs> Kia ora, I haven't even done anything yet, thanks. Um, yeah, playing, playing with the trouble is a fun way to look at this and I realised in the lead up that I have never written anything about gender specifically and then I went ah shit maybe I should do that and I didn't know how I didn't know how to approach it because in am I echoey off these in my head I was like oh I've already sorted this out I just went no thank you and that's done call me they please um and uh, turns out it wasn't as done as I thought, which was rude. But now I have some poems, uh, so that's cool. I took the playing with the trouble idea quite literally and Googled types of poems and went, what's the most annoying, complicated thing that I could try to write? Did you write a villanelle? I did write a villanelle. <laughs> I wrote a villanelle and I wrote a Sistina. <laughs> Because that was that's where I've been at. Because uh, as limiting as structures can be, they can also be helpful, and this was one of those times. But first, I have a couplet that I think is funny. There's a couple of things I think it'd be best if I could just get them off of my chest. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That. Yep. That's it. <laughs> Come on, public health, please. Um, yeah, I did write a Villanelle. Uh, I guess I'll read it. <laughs> um, it's a sort of nod to... Is it Dylan Thomas who did the famous one? The Do Not Go Gentle? Sort of a nod and response to that and also a reminder Mostly to myself, but maybe also to other people. It is weird not standing up. I'm going to sit, though. 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what if this time we go gentle, take things slow? Life need not keep so blistering a pace. Give yourself some time and space to grow. You can rage against the static and the snow you feel threatening to freeze you in your place. What if this time we go gentle, take it slow? You've learned so much more than you used to know. There are still gaps between the lines that frame your face. Give yourself some time and space to grow. We can change the rules, make it up as we go. We don't exist by someone else's grace. What if this time we go gentle, take it slow? No matter which directions Nga Hoe blow or what patterns across your skin they trace, give yourself some time and space to grow. There is no harm in going with the flow. This whole life thing doesn't have to be a race. What if this time we go gentle, take things slow? Give yourself some time and space to grow. So it's sort of also about plants. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's the thing I did, and like, I mean, now it's taken on more of a gender, gen general thing, but I did start it in relation to gender, and not feeling like you've got to figure everything out now, because you don't, that's okay too, like, as, uh, you know, um, along the same sort of line as it's okay to sit in the like complication and the mystery of something, I think it's also okay to do that because you don't know yet. Because mm. mm. it's fine to not know stuff. Um, is a thing that I, you know, try to tell myself. <laughs> I know there's silence now, so I feel like I should fill it. But oh, <laughs> no, oh. keep no, it's, it's, yeah. Did you have more... I mean, I got more shit if you want more shit. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, if you'd like to read more. Um, should we do the, should we crack out the Sestina? Sestinas are really hard yeah. to write. Oh, my God. Uh, Sestina is a type of poem that has an amount of stanzas that are made of six lines, and you have six words that go at the end of each of those lines, but you change the order. <laughs> which they end the lines and it's hard to talk about but it was fun to write and it's yeah I don't know, I'm not going to tell you what it's about I'm just going to read it I've been aware of you since I was four back then we still shared ah, oh, that was the other thing I also went writing a Sestina is not enough by itself let's try it, I am the contaminator <laughs> <laughs> Because, uh, yep, that's how I've been playing with the trouble lately. Uh, I've been aware of you since I was four. Back then we still shared a semblance of trust. I trusted we could climb the furniture, that we could win most any argument. As I grew older, you were a vessel, a collection of wounds to organise. I really fucking hate to organise. I've lost the ways I was when I was four. And treating my body as mine's vessel is not helping to rekindle that trust. It's like we've been in constant argument, sprawling over second-hand furniture. I'm sorry I treat you like furniture. A place to sit to try to organise a watertight, logical argument that proves where I should be now in year four. Of having escaped where I couldn't trust myself to be more than an empty vessel. But plans are not process, self not vessel, answers don't always hide in furniture. I wonder how I could regain your trust, 
past all the scars that I helped organize. I wonder what I thought when I was four and how I could have won this argument. I'm too tired for another argument. Too busy trying to fill this vessel with distractions, a new passion or four. Maybe I should learn to build furniture. But that sounds like a lot to organize. I don't know I'm the right person to trust. Between mind, self, and body, what is trust? Mind don't know anything but argument. And self-help help books to try and organize the universe contained in this vessel. Maybe I'll climb around my furniture, recapture the energy of age four. Learning to trust I'm not just a vessel. Cease argument, try patching furniture. That's at least four less things to organize. Trust, vessel, argument, furniture, for, and organize, and they were all off a random word list generator. So that's a thing you can do if you're bored. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, thank you so much. I think the first thing I wanted to um, comment on was like, uh, I think we discussed this kind of early on when we were still organizing this panel together. Is this, yeah, I think we'd all kind of been like, hmm. Like, gender's definitely something that I think about and is a big part of my life, but I've never really written about it explicitly. <laughs> yep, that, yeah, that was like the first <laughs> conversation that we had when it was still like us and Jackson and Dan. Yeah. Like, couldn't travel because of the plague, but like, yeah, and we were toying with the idea of like sticking, like, you know, bringing writing to the theme, but also acknowledging that because of who we are, sort of like, there's always going to be some of that yeah. through stuff because it's your stuff and it's you and you're this. And yeah, I don't know, I've lost the rest of what yeah. I was going to say. Because that's when you're writing through and about yourself that those things kind of come up. But you don't necessarily think, I'm going to write a poem about my gender. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> necessarily, yeah. it's something that just kind of comes up. Um, naturally um, I really like the first piece the se sorry the second piece that you read too and that idea of like not knowing and being kind of gentle with yourself as well mm -hmm. um, and I think it goes back to earlier what you were saying Kerry too about this idea of having words to describe exactly what it you know to describe yourself exactly and I think when I yeah definitely when I was younger I had that huge it felt like such a huge burden and I felt really like dysphoric and awful trying to figure that stuff out and then I just got to the point where I was like um, it only matters how I feel about myself and it's okay to not know and it's okay to yeah sit and play with the trouble and play with the kind of ambiguity the opacity and just be mm. and that's okay yeah, that's yeah. a really important one, cause especially because, you know, capitalism. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's another thing that a, plays into a day. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. Just being is okay. It's an okay thing to just be. Like, even and especially when it feels like that's a really bad idea and you need to be doing something, like, not necessarily. Like, you know, is the world going to stop if you take a minute to breathe? like a person is that, you know <laughs> probably that's fine mm. I don't know I keep trying to tell myself that it's fine so that maybe I do it but <laughs> um, yeah. yeah gender is weird 
and tricky. Do you want to read something now? <laughs> can do that. Um, if you want, we can also yarn about other stuff. Yeah, sorry, I'll just open my phone. Um, so the next writer, uh, Carrie Lane, is a poet, playwright, and educator from Utiputi. They wrote and co-produced the work of Dunedin Drag Theatre Company Sacrilege Productions, which ran from 2015 to 2020. Their current work focuses mostly on memory and the intersections of art and science. And did you want me to read your content forecast? Um, yeah, sure. Okay, content forecast. <laughs> um, so brief mentions of alcohol and death, um, scarring but nothing explicit. Before I forget, I just want to say something that you made me think of. Like, I think gender is so contextual. Mm. And I think that's something that's really hard to hard to talk about and can almost get quite taboo when you start getting into like micro, 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 micro labels and you have to have the exact right one and it's going to be always right. Because it's you know, it's not the reality, really, of how you how you experience gender. Like it's different in different contexts and around different people and that kind of thing. Um, and so I think when you are writing sort of from your social position and your social context, whatever that is, like, if other people find you confusing, that's going to come through. Like, no matter how you feel about yourself. Which is just... I don't know. I always think in some ways it's a lot more, for me, more useful to think of gender as kind of conversational. Because mm -hmm. um, it does feel like, in a lot of cases, it's as much about how people perceive me. Like, it's that interaction of presentation and perception. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I would like to read two poems. Think. This one is called Homophony, and it is about vitamin C. <laughs> In the absence of a single crucial vitamin, a single crucial connective protein will begin to break down, will be unable to replace itself, will go unreplaced by you, the landlord, or anyone else, and will eventually fail. This protein, collagen, makes up 30% of your body one of those numbers at once a majority and not, depending how you choose to present things. And ultimately, your scars will all fall open. This is a scientific fact, and like all scientific facts, it is extremely comforting when you're staring down a sink full of your own teeth and hair. You knew, and yet here we are. Did you want something? It looks like seaweed, like fish. You have a good eye, it looks like hair, and like teeth. How long has the sink been chipped? I didn't know I even had this much hair, it's something else to see it in front of you. You never see anything, this is my life, not my art, it's not the same. It is the same, don't threaten me. You need things you cannot make from nothing. You will see. This is your life, not your art.
and this one is called Lycanite. Hi. <laughs> I bubble to my surface. Light skims like pebbles low through the clouds. The sea is silk. The dull water about my shins is warm. A far cry from the Antarctic currents of my home and I can't believe I am ever anything less than off and in love with this world. In this place I cannot stay. Silty foam drags against me. The tide rocks outwards in terraces. Salt water in a cup, sand pulls over my feet. Carpety Island loses all definition at once in the light change. I am as scared to let my sadness touch this as she is to do so. To indulge this fear, there seems to be nothing I will not leave behind. I trail myself through life ashamed, too close for comfort and too far for empathy. All of me stays to watch the light go. I walk back to camp alone. Half asleep, bare feet rocking on the pavement. The odd cicada raises its voice above the din as I pass and I carefully fold the sound away. Across the threshold of my room, I sleep with the door open to the night. the part um, thinking about yeah I guess thinking about and through water as well mm -hmm. I think it's always really nice to write about particularly the ocean mm. um, and I don't know I guess I always think when I think about tides and the waves it's like how far away they would have come from mm. to then come onto and interact with my body yeah, yeah. I think there's, there's something so impassive about the natural world in a very comforting way a lot of the time like it's mm. that um very like that that one sequence in stone butch blues you know the nature held me close and seemed to find no fault with me and it always does mm. always there that's a big important thing and i love hearing you read and i always have so many feelings Whenever you read anything that I just I can't like, <laughs> thank you. You're important. That's important, and that's like all I have words for at the moment. But there are things I want to have words for for this because they're good. They'll they'll show up. I have a lot of ADHD. What are you just saying about like giving yourself time? I know. <laughs> I have this other thing, and it's a giant double standard. <laughs> Where like I will say those things to you, and I will mean them with all of this. And like, I'm like, oh yeah, not me though. <laughs> no, don't give me any time to do anything. I, I'll do it 10 seconds ago, don't worry about it. I really liked what you had to say about the conversation and the context. Mm. Um, I think that that works also, I guess, for sexuality mm. as well, in my experience. Like, mm. I think a long time ago, well, I mean, I think it's still present now, your sexuality is defined by who you're with rather than by who you are and I think that I've gotten to a point in my life where I feel like it's a conversation with who I'm with mm. but that I am still me regardless of who I'm with but that it's just perceived differently by people and I think that there's so many things that are like you know when I was 18 I was like oh I must be a lesbian because I'm definitely not straight that's the mm -hmm. only thing that I could possibly be right 
and then I had more conversations and then I built up more ideas. And so I think, mm. yeah, that conversation piece is like a deep. Mm. Yeah. And it's a conversation that's ongoing and mm. kind of will grow and grow as, as long as you give yourself time and space to kind of mm. let it be what it will be. Mm. Yeah. I think a really important part of conversation as well is like meeting people where they are. Yeah. And like, I, th- I think this comes up a lot in like conversations about language and the words people use and who's allowed, who's allowed to use what words and that kind of thing. And I just, I don't see any point in acting like my grandmother describing me in a particular way is exactly the same as you know like a 15 year old that I'm working with using the same language because it's not it's just not and it's again that that context that conversation and she's coming with a different vocabulary and way of understanding the world and I fit into her world in a different way than I do to other people and that's fine Yeah, we had a conversation about that the other day and it made me think about my dad uh, is very lovely and supportive of the weird stuff I get up to and, like, doesn't... um, He's like, oh, yeah, no, you do whatever as long as you're happy about it. And then I tried to tell him about my pronouns (laughs) and uh, he got so grumpy... And I was like messaging because he's he's in Australia, and so I uh, and I messaged him, and I was like, "Can you please not just get grumpy and leave about this for a second? Because I just want to tell you, I just want to explain." And he was like, "Nah, I'm grumpy. I'm leaving." <laughs> and it's like, um, "Thanks for honesty, I guess." Yeah, right. And and uh, like, it's like coming back to the thing about um, ah, yeah. So we've had that. He, it was fine. We had that conversation. He was like, oh, okay, I mean, this is really difficult. For I don't understand, but, like, you seem to think it's really important, so I'll go with it, which is just, yes, thank you. Uh, but, like, um, ah, that's where I was coming back to. Uh, constantly calls me things like my girl and, um, and you know, daughter and just female coded words and I just am tired and don't care like it it's it was it really it was really annoying <laughs> it was really 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 annoying to start with and then I uh you know zoomed out a little bit and did that thing of like oh this is my dad this is how he sees things this is how this is where I sit in his view of what things are and I'm not I don't have the energy to get super angry all the time about him calling me a girl because like it doesn't it doesn't matter <laughs> like it, it matters a bit but it doesn't matter it's it's my dad we still talk that's cool like you know it's it's I'm trying to find the, a, a point that I wanted to make somewhere um, about contextualizing identity and words not being a sort of be all end all thing in terms of describing yourself or parts of yourself because also language is a thing 
and uh, you know, words are just sounds that we agreed would mean a thing. So like, it's it doesn't. There's no inherent connection between words and stuff, right? Yeah. And I don't know. Maybe all my point was is that I've run out of energy to get grumpy about words mm-hmm. for now. Yeah. But and sometimes it's easier to just kind of hold that space for people that you love mm. rather than having to have an argument. Yeah, because like if, you know, if someone who I didn't know, uh, who was like my age, would was insistent on <laughs> like uh, calling me similar things, I would have a much bigger problem with it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think that's what I wanted to say. So the final reader that we have um, is Emma Barnes. Emma Barnes lives in Otto Valley in Poniki, Wellington. Um, so they are an author of a poetry collection, I Am In Bed With You, available over there, <laughs> and co-editor of Out Here, an anthology of takatapui and LGBTQIA writers from Aotearoa, alongside Chris see and we're not focusing on poetry Emma is into powerlifting and deep conversations with anyone who will have them so thanks Hannah thanks everybody it's real nice to be here I'm also going to read two poems although we all just kind of said we didn't write poems explicitly about gender I have written one but um, it wasn't natural, and I don't know if, if you've ever had long hair and been somewhere really windy and breathed in at the wrong time and had your hair go down your throat. Like, this poem for me was like that feeling of pulling the hair back out, and it's just... And that's a very particular long hair experience, but I can tell that lots of you have had that, so just think about that while I'm reading this poem. It's called I Am A Man. Here she is, they say of my body. I lifted my breasts into my clothing this morning. I say, I'm a man for all weathers, a man for all weathers. You said, the horse is loose. I, capital I, capital I, start these sentences in my heads on the night I have an existential crisis about my gender. I'm a man because I think I'm a man. I'm in this body of hips and that wet cave between my legs. Content warning, I'm absolutely going to say the C-bomb, so just prepare yourselves. (laughs) You say your father is a woman, I say she makes sense. I'm a woman, but no one takes these breasts seriously. There's only so far I can get in this. Men want me to be a woman, you want me to be a woman. I'm the praying mantis, destroyer of worlds, and you can't explain why you want to be devoured. Acting out woman in this woman shape is standing on the ground while people fly around me. I'm a bird of cheeping and plumage. No one said a word about flying. Is this a telescope of longing? Am I upside down and my brain transforms the image? It's all in the bricks. It's me, the plasterer, the decorator, the twin of my twin. I'm the grand misogynist behind the curtain, my cunt a billow of satin lining. Or I'm just kidding myself sweetly. Where to now with this wilting self I've kept in a jar? See me as a woman man shape. See me as I backflip back into myself. See me as I disappear when I can't hold the ideas inside me. Daily, I am a woman climbing default.
Um, about like almost 10 years ago, because I'm extremely normal, I wrote a 20-poem series about Sigourney Weaver um, <laughs> moving to Wellington and becoming my girlfriend. Um, so I'm just going to read you one of those really chill poems. Yes. Um, it's called Sigourney Weaver Confronts the Limits of Desire. <laughs> Sigourney Weaver tells me that desire has a hard edge, the end, the limit it enforces by virtue of its own inevitability. She's been reading the internet again. Sigourney Weaver says that our bodies are wishes made from DNA and that time and time again we defeat ourselves with our limited thinking, always imagining edges. The edge of desire is only there because we put it there and we put it there because we can't make sense of a world where we could desire and act in equal measure. Trust Sigourney Weaver to get me tied up in knots without any rope, not even the tiniest string around my finger. I like a boundary, Sigourney Weaver. I like clear statements and small words. I like knowing if my heart is going to make it another round before it has to tap out or someone rings a bell. I'll spit all that blood and saliva into a bucket before I get back up off this chair and then we can go another round. This time we're discussing kissing. Forgive me, Sigourney Weaver, for I have kissed. It has been 12 hours since I kissed someone and a week since I last kissed two someones you didn't know. Sigourney Weaver tells me she's not angry, she's just disappointed. (laughs) I tell her that I will kiss whomever I want to kiss at the time and location of my choosing. This is the original argument. We pretend to hold hands and our pretend hand-holding creates pretend hand-sweat. Here's an edge of desire, Sigourney Weaver, that you have placed inside my body, though it's actually inside your own. There are edges we can sneak through and edges we can rub away and edges like hedges that trap us in thorns and leaves and mazes made out of corn. We're all just one body. We're all pretending to hold hands. I want to read all of your poems. It's in the book, in the book. (laughs) I'm not very good at selling, but yeah, there we go. I'm I'm just so stoked on your Sigourney (laughs) movie. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. I really liked the first poem um, mm. because it was really funny, but it just, for me, made me think about the ways in which we can um, make and remake the body through words. Mm. Yeah. And kind of like, yeah, play with words in order to describe ourselves. Yeah. And yeah. I love that vibe. Yeah. Yeah. And never be static and kind of be lots of different things at once through words yeah um yeah it made me it made me think too about um jackson's jackson newland um great poet and supposed to be part of this panel too but um yeah and the way that they do that through their i am poems yeah yeah um to talk about their body is always changing it's it's really beautiful and like yeah and again sitting in that kind of mystery space of, but also being able to be many things through words mm. so sometimes words are good yeah, <laughs> and like they can be real fun like I think that a lot of gender for me actually gets to a point of being playful and mm. I think that it often feels painful but I'm way more interested in it being fun like 
right now I am wearing podcast people a very bright silver dress that makes me feel like kind of like an android and a boat at the same time <laughs> and like I, there was a meme on the internet the other day talking about like she her pronouns but like like a boat not like a person yeah. you know and like I would vibe with that if you want to use she her with me but it has to be like I'm a boat and you have to want to like <laughs> smash some champagne on my bow like <laughs> um you know, and like, where is that energy? Can we have more of that energy? <laughs> that's a vibe. I reckon, you know? I, that, yeah, that's, that's, that's probably the only way I could feel she, her pronouns yeah. on myself now. Yeah. As if there's like a boat. all of the to-do of a boat launch. Yeah. <laughs> Slide into the water. Smash some... Anyway, I'm going too far with the champagne. <laughs> this is another poem for later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of the most important moments of my life was at a Peaches gig where Peaches poured champagne onto me. Oh, that's fantastic. And so I have a connection to champagne as well. Good, but, yeah. fair enough, yes. <laughs> that's another poem in itself. Poems are everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I do like the image of the praying mantis. Mm. I think. I don't know, it's... it's interesting that natural and inanimate seems to be such a draw like I think that kind of came through for all of us like from furniture to water to the praying mantis so I don't know I don't know where I'm going with that but it's just like the directions people choose to take the comparisons I find deeply interesting mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, what what things that aren't you do you identify as having commonalities with your ness? Yeah, I was feeling quite angry when I wrote that. So I was thinking about the way after a praying mantis has sex, it bites off the head of its partner. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Which is maybe a little dark, but um, yeah. But that's okay. Yeah. But there are lots of cool gender things in like the natural world. I guess, or sex things, or both. Have you heard of the, the thing, the dragonfly thing? Dragonflies? The type of wasp? Some kind of flying insect that the uh, female will fake its own death to avoid the advances of a male that it doesn't want. And I thought that was a vibe. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's nice to believe, though, sometimes that you're explainable in different ways. I think the way that we act, that the binary is, like, so serious and so true and there's possibly nothing outside it, even though scientific examination shows that it's not true and it's not the main thing. But I find comfort in all the, like, multiplicity of... I mean, like, the anglerfish, male anglerfish, attach themselves to the side of the female and essentially just become a little bag of sperm for later use. Yep, they do. Again, we've all been there. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, like, it's interesting, and I think it gives you ways of thinking about yourself that are different. Yeah. Yeah. And if you can't find other humans to vibe with at whatever time, it's handy to find yeah. other non-human things to vibe with and be like, oh, maybe I'm not alone. Because, yeah. like, statistically, you just can't be. There's too many of us. Yeah. Like, yeah. 
Yeah, like in 1998 in Christchurch, when I was trying to figure out who I was, there were not a lot of other people that I could have those conversations with, you know, like, mm-hmm. or it didn't feel like it. it was a long time ago. Mm. Yeah, right, like I grew up in the middle of nowhere, like there were two, <coughs> two out gay men uh, who were like a couple and ran a cafe. It was a fantastic cafe. And that was it in terms of people who I knew growing up who were queer or trans or any not cishet way of being. That was it. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I left high school thinking that there were three genders. Like, there, there are men and there are women and there are people from each of those boxes who want to be in the other box. It was like, all that I'd that was all the people that I'd met growing up. And, like, that's not a lot of options. There are a lot more people than that is options. <laughs> and, um, I don't know, it was really nice to, like, you know, move somewhere bigger and find out that there, there are more ways to be a person. <laughs> and all of them are, like, pretty okay, as long as you're not being an ass about it. But, yeah. I don't know. Lots of things about multiplicity and mystery. And I think like this, there's an important intersection with that conversation and the idea of solidarity, though. And I think that's mm. so- something again with the um, like approaching it, approaching these conversations in a way that sort of makes more and more and more words as it can be very isolating in some ways. And I think it, it is important to be aware of and celebrate like ways in which we are alike, because there are a lot of those, you know? And that's that's not just, you know, us in this little community, that's, that's sort of humanity. <laughs> and it's, I think, very critical to be thinking about, like, class consciousness Mm. as, you know, citizens of the world, as workers, as, you know, people who are existing in whatever societal box, like, we need to be working really hard on building bridges at the moment, I think, because that seems, from my perspective, to be like the only way out of some of the fairly serious problems in front of us. Yeah. Yeah, yep. <laughs> just 100% agree with you on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I don't know, there's quite often there's been points in my life where I've had to feel like I've had to choose between um, how I might identify, especially being able to like choose between being Māori or being part of like a kind of queer community and not being able to kind of sit, be situated between between those Mm. and I feel like the older that I get the more those things become messier and more complicated and um, the more those conversations become yeah even though I don't know I feel like and we spoke about this the other day um, where as much as I love te ao Māori and um, reo Māori is like there is spaces for you know, describe, you know, there's like one word to describe multiplicity of gender, which is great. Um, it is a very, it can be a very gendered space to mm-hmm. be in. 
of like wahini, yeah, no, wahini and tāne and that's it. Um, but I feel like slowly that's changing and that feels really hopeful um, for, I guess, people a lot younger than me and baby <laughs> to be who they want, you know, to just be able to explore themselves in a way that I was never given the space to do or, um, yeah, again, growing up in small towns, it's sort of like, yeah, I didn't really have any kind of conceptions of the, I guess, like gender being plural, really, um, until I was like a lot older. And it's really interesting having siblings who are Zoomers they just like know stuff that I just like. <laughs> it's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. I'm hopeful, especially with the young ones, because they can totally speak to things around in a really intersectional way mm -hmm. that I just was never able to do or articulate. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously had some understanding of, but didn't have the words for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had a conversation with one of my friend's kids who was about 13 at the time and we'd been to the same middle of nowhere high school for a little bit and so we were talking about school and stuff and then they were going to um, a school up here and I was talking about like yeah no I didn't know any trans people growing up um, and there was just you know no one out at my school because it wasn't safe and uh, what did they say to me? and this kid looks at me and goes, what? No, people don't not have trans friends. <laughs> right? And I lost it, because I was like, what? Did, hang on, hang, hang on, that means, <laughs> that means that you have trans friends at your school when you're 13, and it would be weird for you if you didn't. Like, it would, you know, that means that your friends have trans friends, that means that there are out trans kids at this high school, and I'm, you know, here from, when I'm from high school, which was forever ago, and it was very terrible anyway. Um, so, like, oh my god. So hearing that from this kid was just so wild and so wonderful, and made me, it still makes me so happy to talk about it. I'm like, I, it's safe to be a trans kid in Dunedin somewhere. Like, that's so cool. I'm so happy about that. And then also, inevitably, there's all the things we were talking about the other day with all of the... Ah, no, I'm not going to get into that bit. Sorry. I got ahead of myself. <laughs> I love that I live somewhere that it's safe to be an out trans kid. That is so cool. That was my point. And that it's, like, normalised as well. Yeah, right? Like, it would yeah. be weird if that wasn't happening. Like, what? Since when? Yay, good. <laughs> I'm, ah, just, yeah. It's still... Obviously, it, it still it still makes me go, what? Oh my god! <laughs> um, yeah, it just makes me happy when people can, uh, you know, be themselves and not have to worry about bad things happening because of that. Yeah. yeah. On that note, I might just open open up the floor. Um, to see if there was any, um, yeah, yeah. What we can, um, 
Oh, COVID safety, yes. Thank you. So for COVID safety, we absolutely would love any and all of you to ask whatever questions you have from this beautiful corridor, but uh, you, you will use your normal human voice amplification and then for the benefit of our podcast friends and also for everyone else in the room, um, I will amplify the question with the microphone and then we don't need to be wiping it down and you know the buzz. All right. Would anyone, thoughts, feelings, emotions? It doesn't have to be a question, it can just be a response. Yeah, just some stuff. Anyone got words to say? <laughs> yeah, what inanimate objects do you feel like your gender is? <laughs> Did you? Yeah, what's up? I wanted to jump on what you were saying about having a conversation with a 13-year-old. Mm. And I just wanted to say, like, I've had stuff like that in my life, but with my partner who's 11 years older than me. And so it's really fun, so we went to the same high school. Um, and he left before I started, and so right. there was, I mean, there was an entire generation of students between us, and talking about the difference of what was safe and what wasn't, especially in the small town we were from. And I couldn't believe that there was no one who was actually out as trans or genderqueer or with a girlfriend or who took their boyfriend to the school dance Mm. when he was at school. And Mm. I think there's still a massive disconnect between that because it's so normalized for me and my generation now because of what the generation before us went through. I just think it's really fun like having those conversations and actually being able to experience the difference. Yeah, cool. Thank you for that. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, more, please. Good. <laughs> yeah. And it's also like sometimes you can just have like really beautiful conversations with children, and they're just so much easier to talk to mm. about things. Like I remember um, an ex-partner of mine. We were talking to her. I think she was about eight, and we were talking to her about. Um, you know what, like she like what like what a trans person is, and she just got it straight away and just like yeah, hmm. <laughs> that's my obviously. favorite thing. Eh? <laughs> obviously people, you know, obviously people can be who they want to be, and they you know they can like she, she just didn't, and we were like oh okay, cool. <laughs> but you know, trying to have a conversation with somebody, you know even our age or like older sometimes is like a lot trickier mm-hmm. um, but I feel like sometimes kids are just or just like the different differences in generations and how we're raised it's like yeah. it's really interesting and hopeful yeah I think there's also a cool thing though like so I'm in my 40s and I'm often talking to people who are a bit older than me and sometimes they ask me to explain myself a bit and then once I've explained, I can kind of see them grab for it and go for it and actually say that's kind of what they think they are as well. And, like, mm. that, um, like, when I was 18 and going through, like, my 20s and my 30s, it took me so long to be able to go, oh, oh, I can use the word non-binary because I was, like, 
uh, genderqueer or non-binariness is exclusively for the delightful young people and I'm way too old for those words and so I just sort of let it go and then I was like what no that is that right is there an age limit on a word like <laughs> other than like an actual age is there an age limit on a word and then having lots of conversations with other elders and being I'm calling myself an elder <laughs> I think I'm allowed to um yeah, and having that be actually kind of revealing and fun. Mm. And then the other conversation I love is kids who are like, are you a boy or a girl? And being like, well, I don't know, what do you reckon? And the other day, I, a kid, I had that conversation with them and they were like, I think maybe you're a monster. <laughs> but they meant it as a compliment. Yes. <laughs> it was a deep compliment. And I was like, yeah, let's roll with that. That's great for me. That's lovely. Yeah. I want a small child to call me a monster, but in like a fun way. <laughs> I had someone on a bus once, I was sitting next to a friend of mine, and we were both in uh, sort of, we both had punk vests on, right? And uh, this guy across the bus aisle leaned over and was like, to my friend, like, you look really cool. And then over to me, and like, I don't know what to do with you. <laughs> and I was like, good, cool, that, yes, I like this. <laughs> and yeah, that's, I don't know, that's another bit on mystery and stuff, I guess. I think, like, just going back to the mystery thing, mm. I think it ties into privacy for me as well. Mm. And that's like, obviously just becoming more and more and more of a thing through the 21st century but yeah there's some of like I think it's, it's possibly a side effect of some of the change in, in terms of like you know things becoming more open and people being more comfortable talking about stuff is like Sometimes I feel like people feel comfortable asking me stuff that's just like, you, I don't know you. <laughs> like, no, we're not, we're not having this conversation. And that's a really important, like, not just a boundary, but actually like a part of the identity to me. And I think that's coming back to the opacity thing. It's like, mm, no. <laughs> like, the only context in which is possibly relevant is if you're asking me out. Yes. And if you are, the answer is no. Yes. <laughs> you failed the first we're test. we're not having this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. In a dating world, I often get confused for a trans woman. And, like, no problem with that at all, except all it opens me up to is the trans misogyny that is extremely violent. And um, it's disgusting, but it's also, it is. It's that, that privacy thing and that disrespect thing. And it's, for me, experiencing that is like, oh, my goodness if I didn't have solidarity my trans sisters like they're going through that all the time Yeah, you know like I get a brief glimpse of some of that stuff yeah. very bad yeah the privacy one's a really interesting one for me because I am um, like from the internet you know and I gave up on giving much of a shit about privacy in terms of things like my name and um, pronouns and stuff just for the sake of convenience, like not because privacy isn't an issue and like 
oh god, don't get me started on the internet and safety, but um, yeah, I just went, eh, anyone who wants this can have it. And it, I have mixed feelings about that now, later. <laughs> um, and it's, no, I've lost the end of my sentence, but these things, yes. <laughs> Hmm. I think there's this it sometimes feels like there's an assumption that if you like exist or look a certain way like that experience is for public consumption and public mm. discussion mm. and it's not <laughs> it's really really not yeah um, which is I guess like what, what you were saying about having so quite vague words, and again, like coming back to the the singular pronoun and, and real Maori thing, it's like somewhere in here. <laughs> That's all you need to know, <laughs> and that is all I will be telling you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like the way that Google Maps sometimes doesn't know where you are yeah. within like a, a kilometre. You know, it's in that region. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just such a thing of like, like you don't actually need to know that much about me period but also to interact with me or whatever like you don't there are just things that you don't need to know and they include any and every detail about my body for example mm. you don't need to know that generally or to have an effective interaction with me but it's such a thing that people feel like they're entitled to mm. know about yeah I think it's, it's coming back to the we were talking about dissonance the mm. other day and like I think there's a, as far as I can tell, a very common experience of um, people who are read by other people as dissonant in some way of that, like, wanting you to resolve it for yeah. them. And Nicely, like, cleanly. Yeah, and yeah. whether that's um, in, like, a whole lot of questions or sometimes, mm -hmm. like, people getting really, really demanding about, like, wanting to know what your pronouns are and how to use them. It's like... Yeah. I, I like... The fact that you are uncomfortable with what you perceive as like a conflict between how I move through the world and the body I move in, I don't give a shit. <laughs> like I do not care if it makes you uncomfortable and I'm not going to take responsibility for making you feel better about that. Sorry. <laughs> That's not a thing to be sorry for either. Like, that's in the like. People get angry though. Like, people, people do get, get angry, really and that also doesn't it. mean that it warrants your apologies. Like, yeah. like it, that is a good way to diffuse an angry situation for sure. And also, oh my god, that shouldn't have to happen. Mm. <laughs> like, especially not when the subject is you and how you are, and like. So like, yeah. people get surprised. Do you guys find that as well? Like, if you kind of draw that, that line of, like, I don't know you, we're not having a conversation about this, like, mm. often the first reaction is, like, this really quite sincere kind of shock. <laughs> like, why not? Like, what? what, what? <laughs> like, would you... Why do you think it's okay to ask a stranger this? That's really weird, actually. I think they think they mean, they, they mean well. Yeah. <laughs> Most of the time. Yeah. And then they think, oh... Oh I'm, yeah, it's the thing of like oh, I'm just I'm just curious though. Like I just want to know. Like I just want to. I don't know what I want to know, but also 
you can Google it. Yeah, follow <laughs> the curiosity, but like flip it inwards. Because mm. I think that sometimes, like, I definitely confuse a huge amount of people, which I'm absolutely fine with and sometimes enjoy. But I think that some of that confusion is like resonance, you know, like when um, to what are resonance like a, a you know if you play a note on a cello in a room with another cello that cello might ring with it right so it's like um sometimes it feels like to me people want me to resolve their stuff that's actually about them as well like yeah. mm-hmm. and that it's cool to want guides but it's also like that's a so different conversation right mm-hmm. and it doesn't always start out that way it's like yeah yeah it's interesting i don't know I was just thinking while listening to all of you um, how strange it is being pregnant mm. and being a person that's like, I'm non-binary, please don't. Um, just having a kind of middle-aged Pakistani woman come up and touch my uh, belly yeah. and that be, them think that that's like, okay, and kind of being this, feeling like this, um, I don't know, effigy of like womanhood (laughs) and not I wanted to ask you about that the other day but I didn't want to like bring it up because it sucks that people just feel like they can touch you for no reason other than that they want to because they feel like they're celebrating you by doing that Yeah, and that's absolutely not the case because you didn't you had nothing to do with that (laughs) and it um I was going to bring that background to gender. They're so happy though, and, and, and it's sort of like it, yeah, they're and always really shocked when I'm like, because I, I, I think the first seven three times, the first two times I was very shocked, and I, at the supermarket and just sort of like, <laughs> <laughs> and then the last time that it happened, I was like, oh please don't touch me, mm. and the lady got so grumpy with me and shitty and just sort of was like, oh. walked off and I was like. You can't go up to someone and just, like, touch them. Like, right? I don't know. It's that thing that you were talking about, like, yeah. people see you and perceive you a certain way and then feel like that entitles them to something. Yeah. Also to information or to, like, contact. or yeah. And it just it just flat out doesn't, like, <laughs> ever. No. The point about it being celebratory is interesting because I feel mm. like that actually happens with the, the gender stuff as well. Like, mm. it's easy to... Um, kind of talk about it exclusively in the context of people sort of getting quite up in your face and being aggressive but it's actually not and like especially in you know in this day and age people are getting more chill about a whole lot of things and often that means that people feel way more chill like asking you really personal stuff or getting up in your face or like you know interrogating hanging out with your partner in public or whatever it is and it's the the flip from celebration to as soon as you draw a boundary it's like mm. it goes straight back into that kind of like shitty surprised like oh no yeah. you've 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 poked my feeling of entitlement and now I'm uncomfortable yeah like good mm. but just like that it's, it seems to be a very similar feeling whether it is like whether it's something they're experiencing is like you're weird and I don't like it or I'm really excited mm. like yeah. It yeah. seems to be way more similar than it might seem on the surface. Yeah, I don't that's really know what really that good means. Because 
yeah. about like whose body is public property and yeah. like yeah. how you transition into being public property. Like I actually sometimes people think I'm pregnant because I have a big belly, and the best way out of that for me is like, oh, I'm not pregnant, I'm just fat, and like that absolutely <laughs> destroys the person. I'm <laughs> often very sorry about it, but also. I'm not going to pretend to be pregnant, so it's like this weird negotiation <laughs> of, like, you know, like I, I just won't. I'm not. I don't. I'm not pregnant. Genuinely, please don't touch my belly. So like, I have, right, don't touch anyone's belly. I mean, yeah, <laughs> but I think that it's the, like I think sometimes when you're fat as well, like there's a there's a body thing there as well around being very publicly something, you know, and it's like when you're too openly something. What is that something? Is that like... Because I think, like, many women experience being public property. Women's bodies are, like, available for public access. And then those of us who aren't women shift into that in other ways. And Yeah. How do we... How are we allowed our privacy? What's that point of, like, legibility yeah. that you raised before? And it's interesting to think about it in the context of, like literal language as well and bring it back to the English thing like that idea that you should be able to read everything around you yeah. I think is a very English language perspective in a lot of ways and I don't know if that actually like ties into it at all but it, it's that demand that everything be yeah it makes sense yeah that everything immediately makes sense to you and there not be things existing in public in your space that you can't read yeah, it's really it's like people kick up such a, such a fucking fuss if you have like real Māori but not English on signs. Yeah, it's like yeah. Like do uh, do you mean like every other you're, sign only yeah, has you English don't have on the it? The right to be able to read everything at all times. Yeah, no it's shared space, really. Like yeah, that I think is that um, I think I agree with what you're saying about um, it being about that specifically English thing of needing to know for sure whatever the thing is, like whatever, whatever, whatever it is, if it's someone's gender, if it's whatever, if it's the name of the place that you're in, because there's no English on the sign, like that is the name of the place that you're in. It's just not in English. I don't know what to tell you. But like the tendency to want to chuck labels on everything that are like succinct and correct I feel like um, I know I had like 15 thoughts about science and art and language and then like a chair creaked and now they're all gone from my brain which is not the fault of the creaking chair it's just how my brain works um, so I'm just going to cut that off there because I don't know what I was going to say <laughs> I just wanted to pick up on what you were saying, though, and it just mm. made me think a lot about how um, early settlers, when they came to places like New Zealand, and they would take samples of everything and lay, give things new names, mm. as though those things didn't already have names and in ex, in exist in other ways. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, right. I was thinking about that because there's this great word in Japanese that means the specific type of shade under a tree and I've always really loved that word because it just seems like English doesn't necessarily have that poetry it just has that kind of like 
and maybe it's its connections with colonization or imperialism, right? That it's like, we are labels, we are like... But also just that lack of curiosity to be like, oh, here's something that exists. I am absolutely going to name it. <laughs> I haven't talked to anybody. Yeah. I, don't I haven't talked really, to anybody because I, I didn't anybody. bother to figure out how. Yeah. So I'm just going to take I'm this stuff. I'm just going to name it. <laughs> yeah. Just... You know. Mm. We're back on entitlement again. <laughs> Cataloging can be non-malicious, yeah. and I don't, I don't at all mean to downplay that. So, in the context of co- like colonization, but I think sort of bringing it a bit more back to people moving through the world is, I don't know, like I hesitant to say that wanting to have names for things and know what things are called is a violent act. No, no. Yeah, I don't think that it is. I think that, um, you know, specifically in regard to what we were just talking about, the um, wanting to categorise things and wanting to label things, wanting to know what things are is not violent in itself. But in terms of colonisation and stuff we were just talking about, like, it's not, it becomes violent when you're like trampling someone's yard to do yeah. that, yeah. or introducing the concept of a yard to do that. Like it's like it's it's yeah, yeah that yeah. Like wanting to know what things are, I think is human. Yeah, mm-hmm. like I have a thousand labels for myself, mm-hmm. and like I like that process of me going along and picking up things about me. But I think the tension that I'm trying to talk about there is sort of more that idea of not being in context not knowing the language and rather than trying to learn the language or curiously and gently go Mm. there it's kind Mm. of like oh you must be this or Mm. I don't understand that and I want to understand it more clearly explain Mm. it to me you know like um, the sectionist mode yeah 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 Mm. like yeah 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 rather than like because I think ultimately like a lot of science and discovery and labelling that way is about curiosity Mm. or I'm prepared to give it that like Mm. grace of curiosity you know yeah, I think that's kind of what we were talking about earlier is that like intersection of curiosity and entitlement mm. which yeah exactly it's an interesting place that I think we I don't know I mean it's definitely something that I've definitely a place that I've inhabited like you, you want to know about something mm. and it can be quite confronting to not be able to for whatever reason yeah for sure and I think that that's you know half the thing is when people come up to you and are like asking questions that are extremely personal when you've never seen each other before and then the sort of surprise at not Mm. being able to obtain that information because like especially now that like the internet exists and you can just find out stuff like you can find out a weird amount of stuff about a weird amount of stuff in no time and having that be so ubiquitous I wouldn't be surprised at all if that was a you know contributing factor in the um, in the surprise of not being able to cross someone's boundaries for your own reasons. I think yeah. I think people do the same thing with animals mm. as well, like that getting really angry about illegibility and things sort of moving and behaving in ways you don't expect. And it's, yeah, you see how people interact with cats all the time. Yeah, like just getting real angry because it, this thing won't do what you expect it to, and it won't engage with like 
your curiosity and your want to be near it. Because it's like its own whole living creature that has its own stuff that it's doing. <laughs> like, no, <laughs> no living thing. Do what I want you to, or I'm going to be grumpy. Like, no, why? Just, <laughs> just stop. <laughs> Don't need to know everything about everyone all the time. We got a question. Translating things doesn't work also sometimes. Like, it just doesn't, it's not the same thing anymore once you've fed it through another language. And um, and I feel like that relates back to this somehow. But there was a truck, so I lost it. <laughs> um, just being mindful of the time. Mm. Um, it's seven. Ooh, whoa! Yeah. <laughs> wow. It is. Yeah, yeah. should we wrap up? <laughs> yeah. Um... Thank you so much for sharing space with me. Thank and, you. Um, thank you all for coming and for your comments. Um, it's been a really nice conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you, hon. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.